Well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, there's one thing that I love about that song. It's, um, I've been reading this book recently that's uh, just talking about um, the way the human brain throughout time has um, become just kind of prone or inclined to dwell on the negative, right? That's just kind of what we do. Uh, you know, you could, you could get up in the morning, you could have a good breakfast, uh, you know, you could be in a warm house and the heat could be going, uh, you, you could put on nice, fresh, clean clothes and some comfortable shoes. You could walk out, a, out the house to a car that starts when you turn the key. Um, but you hit traffic, right? And you got a couple of choice words or somebody cuts you off and you got a couple of choice words and that can ruin a whole day, right? And our, the human brain is just kind of wired that way, right? Where we magnify the negative. But that song is like, no, there's 10,000 reasons. There's tons of good things that are happening around us, it teaches us to be grateful, right? To count the things that we have to be grateful for. Because in the midst of life and in the midst of the negative, right, just the fact that we're here, that we're breathing, um, that, that we have food and clothes, and that we're able to come into a space like this and sing uh, songs of praise to God in freedom, um, then that's something for us to be grateful for. Um, and so, hey, maybe that's a challenge for someone, right? To begin counting the positive, begin magnifying those things, begin dwelling on those, um, because God is, um, God is in this world and God is in control and he's blessing us and he knows what he's doing. And so we count those and we celebrate them uh, with one another. Well, good morning. This morning we are uh, we are continuing our series. We, two weeks ago we began a series um, that, that we called "Give Us a King," right? And if you remember what we said two weeks ago, uh, we, we said um, uh, that the Israelites did what? Right? They they looked around themselves. Right. And they saw how the direction that everyone else was headed in. Right. They saw that everyone else around them had a king. And they looked around. They said, all these nations that are around us, all these people that are around us, they're all ruled by kings. We're the only one without a king. And they came to Samuel, who was the prophet. Right. The God's workmen among them. And they said, give us a king. We want a king. We want to be like these other nations. We want to be like these other people. See, they were following the logic of the masses instead of following the logic of the master. And there's a huge difference there. And we're often drawn into doing that, right? There's this kind of pop logic out there, right? This is the way things are going. Just the trends that are happening, the things that we see. And we're tempted to be drawn into, almost sucked into those things where, um, yeah, just because they have it, we feel like we need it. And our needs are determined about what's commonly had in this world. Um, but, but God said, hey, you're rejecting me as your king, I'm sufficient. I am enough. But they did, and they persisted in doing um, what we all are so prone to doing, and that's putting our hope and trust in what we can see as opposed to putting our hope and trust in a God who's invisible but whose power is at work and present in this world. And so they turned to a king, and, and king after king after king, um, they, they began to learn a lesson, right? They, this king is just as imperfect as I am. This king is just as flawed as I am. That kings are prone to corruption. There's a quote by uh, Lord Acton, uh, and he talks about uh, power and power's tendency to corrupt. I think we have that. Yeah, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts Absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Power can be a dangerous thing. 
And the Israelites learned that firsthand. They learned that power has this tendency to corrupt, and they would have these kings. And I wish that we were in this series longer, and and we may even return to it uh, later on in the year, Um, because it's fascinating as I've been looking through the life of some of these kings, right? A lot of them start good, right? Some of them start good. A man who was just pursuing God's will, right? And they start good, but then something happens, right? Maybe it's the power. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's these different things begin to corrupt their, their, um, their will and their desire. And they begin to pursue other things. And so we're going to continue this series. We're only in this for two weeks, this week and next week, as we'll look at two different kings. Uh, and so this week we're looking at, at the life of David. But let's, let's pray before we get into this message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open the scriptures and study the life of David. God, I love that the scripture says that he's a man after your own heart. God, that you claim that of him. And God, I just pray that we will this morning learn from this man who pursued you, who chased after you. God, please help us to understand this scripture. These scriptures, please help us to understand the Bible and how we might apply it to our lives. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, like I said, we're looking at the story of David. And David um, was the greatest king in Israel's monarchy, right? He was a man of great power. And, and the Bible even says that he was a man after God's own heart, that he was in pursuit of God. And, he was, and when you read the scriptures, you see that, that he was kind of like this true renaissance man, uh, a, a kind of renaissance man in the truest sense, because he, he's a poet, right? He wrote a lot of the Psalms. He was a poet and songwriter. So he was writing these songs and um, um, he, he played the harp, the Bible even says. So he was a musician, right? So he had these many talents. He was into the arts. There's even that one scripture where it talks about him dancing before the Lord, right? Dancing in worship. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and he got a little carried away. I think the Bible says something like he, he danced his clothes off or something like that. Uh, and, and, uh, and so he was, a, he was a dancer. He was an artist. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a songwriter, right? But at the same time, this same David was was a warrior, right? He, he, he was the one who, um, who defeated the giant Goliath, right? So this David who was writing poetry and writing songs was a warrior. There's that one scripture where he talks about um, right before he defeats the giant, he says, yeah, I was a shepherd and while I was out in the fields, and he says it kind of casually, while I was out in the fields taking care of these sheep, yeah, there were lions and bears that came to get my sheep and I grabbed them by the hair and killed them with my bare hands, right? So he was this rough tumble, rough and, rough and rugged kind of guy. And he became a king and, and he commanded armies, right? Some of the strongest forces that our world has known, he commanded them. David was this renaissance man in the truest sense. And we see in his life this kind of, um, it's, it's this confidence that begins to play out. And it's almost like a, a, a con- it's almost like a contentment and confidence that are kind of paired together, almost in this tension, right? Um, because he's, he's very content with where he is. He's, he, he, when we read his story, he's not, he's not 
forcing God's will to happen, right? He's kind of right along for the ride with God, right? When, when God says go, he's ready to go, right? He's confident. He's there. He's in pursuit. He's aggressive. He's pursuing God's will with his all. But, but when God doesn't say go, it's almost like David's like, all right, I'm good here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm cool right here. Uh, you even see this when he was, um, when he was anointed king. He was a young man when he was anointed king. So he's anointed king, right? And here this guy is. He knows he's going to be king. Saul, Samuel comes to him, anoints him as king. And it's not till 15 years later that he actually becomes king. You, you never hear David going, God, is it time yet? Is it time yet? I'd be like, come on, right? Can I, can I have some forces to command right now? Right? Can I, can I live in the palace just in the meantime? Can, can, you, never do we see him forcing that, right? He seems to be very content with where he is but yet confident. And all that comes with his relationship with the Lord, being a man after God's own heart. There's this one scripture, and it's not on the slides, um, but I want to read this scripture in, in Psalm chapter 27. Um, I just want you to hear, because I think this is exactly where his, his confidence comes from. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And so we see this, this powerful confidence that he has that's ultimately a confidence in the Lord that even though my enemies come against me, they're going to stumble and fall. That's going to happen because I'm trusting that the Lord who is for me is bigger than all who are against me. And so in David's life, we see this confidence, this contentment and this confidence kind of uh, just is really playing out uh, in his life as God uses him in powerful ways. And so he became king. And the greatest king that Israel ever knew. But yet his kingdom was, was not without scandal. His kingdom was not without scandal. This kind of reminds us of uh, today. Often those with great power, often those who rule, it's not without scandal. And so there's this story, and maybe you're familiar with it in David's life. It's in Samuel chapter two, or Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, and that's where we're going to pick up. But there's this story um, where David one night, and here he is, he has, um, he has great armies that he's commanding, right? He has this big palace that he's living in. He, he has everything that you would think one would, would dream of. He had been patient. He had waited on the Lord. He had pursued the Lord. He had done things right up until this point. Uh, and um, and there's this one night, right? And he's there in his palace. And, and the Bible says he could not sleep. And so he's laying there. And I, I've been there many, many nights where he's just almost like maybe I drank coffee too late or ate something that didn't sit right with my stomach. And I'm laying there. And my eyes are wide open. And I'm thinking, why am I even like, why am I even laying in the bed after an hour or so? I can't sleep. I get up and find something to do until I get sleepy again and lay back down. I imagine that's kind of the thing that David was going through. He, he's laying there awake and he can't sleep. And so the Bible says, and I wish I could do this, but I can't, right? He gets up and goes to the rooftop of his palace, right? And he just begins to pace and look up at the stars, I imagine, and, and maybe talk to himself and allow some thoughts from the days to go. Um, but then he looks over at a house across from his, and he looks in through the window and he sees this woman, Bathsheba. 
And she's there and she's taking a bath. And at this point in the story, every time I read it, I'm like, almost like I enter into this story, right? I'm I'm almost there yelling at my Bible. I'm like, David, look away now. You you, you know better than this. You've prepared for this situation. You've been pursuing the Lord. You've been after him. You've been living for him all these years, right? You've been patiently waiting for what the Lord has for you. Look away, but but he doesn't, right? When we read in that story, we see that he doesn't look away, that he continues um, to stare there and it gets him in in a situation that he wasn't prepared for. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in in verse 2. It says, one evening David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The thing that always catches me in this story is the fact that he wasn't even looking for trouble, right? It wasn't like he was in pursuit of it. He just couldn't sleep. Right? It wasn't like he was like, I know this Bathsheba. I've seen her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp out on the rooftop, right? This creeper in the dark on the roof, right? That, that wasn't David, right? He just couldn't sleep. And so here he is up on the roof trying to, to, to look at some stars, hoping to get sleepy again so he can go back downstairs. He wasn't looking for trouble, not at all, right? But he looks over, right? And he doesn't do what he should have done, which is look away and go back downstairs and fix himself something to eat. All right, or he was the king find somebody to fix him something to eat do something right uh, and david sent someone to find out about her the man said she's Bathsheba, the daughter of elam and the wife of uriah the hittite right and that's that's uh, at that point right then you just you, you change your mind right you change your mind she's the wife of uriah um, but he doesn't do that then david sent messengers to her uh, to get her and she came to him and he slept with her and then if you look down in verse five she comes to him again and she says i'm pregnant Right. David wasn't looking for trouble, but he found himself in a scandal. He found himself in the midst of a situation that was bigger than anything he imagined. Right. Here it is. One night he couldn't sleep. And the next thing he knows, he was caught up just like that. And what does he do? He follows SSP, Standard Scandal protocol right standard scandal what, what is what is that right you try to cover it up right you begin thinking with all your might i'm caught up in this right there's maybe one way that i can fix it right there maybe somehow that i can cover this up there may be one way that i can fix it and he begins thinking about how can i like how can i get out of this right that's the first thought that comes to his mind is how can i how can i get out of this um, and so he sits down and maybe he sat down with some of his best advisors and they began talking about it and they began to toss around a couple ideas. So he comes, comes to this idea, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He's going to call her, call him off the battlefield, right? And call him to come to his palace and he's going to give him a gift, right? He's going to give him a gift because after all, he's a good guy. He's been fighting for, for, the, for, the, um, for the, the, the Israelites all this time. So he calls him to his palace and he says, hey, bro. I doubt he said bro. But, but hey, brother, um, here's a gift from me to you, right? Here's some time off to rest, to recuperate. Go home, spend it with your wife. Enjoy her. Yeah, yeah really, enjoy her, right? And I imagine he's emphasizing that. Just, just go home. And what does he do? He denies, he says, I won't do it. 
I won't do it. Not while my fellow uh, uh, warriors are out there camping in tents, right? I'm not going home to my wife. I, I am not going to do that and enjoy the comforts of my home to enjoy the love of my wife while these men out there who I've worked with, who I, I've, I've spent my time with, who I've fought for, who I've lived side by side all these years, I'm not doing it while they're still out there. I'm not accepting your gift, David. And so here he is, and David says, all right, <laughs> spend the night here. Just stay, stay here. Let me pick up that story again in Second Samuel. Look at verse 10. It says, David told Uriah, um, uh, David was told, sorry, Uriah did not go home. So David found that out, um, and, and he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? David's trying to make it seem like he, you know, he doesn't have any logic here. He's like, why didn't you go home? You just came from a military campaign. You must be tired. Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander, Joab, and my Lord's men are camped out in open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do, a, do such a thing. And so he is insistent that he's not going home. I kind of think he knows that if he goes home, he's not going to want to leave. Right. And so he's like, I I got work to do and I can't get distracted. I'm committed to this army. I can't get distracted. He's doing what David should have done, not being distracted and staying focused on what he's doing in that moment. Then David comes up with another plan, right? In, in, in verse 14, it says in the morning, this is after Uriah. So Uriah's like, I'm not going home. I'm sleeping right out here, right outside the palace. Oh, right here where, where you leave me, that's where you'll find me. So in the morning, David gets up and he writes this letter to Joab and sent it, to, sent it with Uriah as Uriah went back to the armed forces. And in it, he wrote, put Uriah in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him. So he'll be struck down and die. You see, David was caught up in a situation that had gotten out of his control. He could not figure out how to fix it, but he felt like he needed to fix it because he knew the way of powerful men. Right? He knew that power corrupts and men fall easily. Men and women fall easily, right? Because power has that way of corrupting it. But he was caught up and he knew that he needed to get out of it. And he's trying to strategize and he's trying to plan, but it's just not working. And so he says, yeah, put Uriah on the front lines of the army where he will be fighting in the most dangerous place. Make it look like an accident. Have everyone pull back from him. And then we'll go and tell Bathsheba that he died. That he died with honor fighting for his country. That's what we'll do. It made sense in the moment. Who's going to know, right? This is a letter just between me and Joab, the commander of the army. Who's going to know? You see, that night when David went up on the rooftop, he never knew how this was going to unfold. That night when he called Bathsheba to come over his house, when he made that call, he didn't know how this was going to unfold. He didn't know what kind of situation that he was going to get himself in. He didn't know how big this scandal would be. We see the reality is that we ourselves find ourselves from time to time caught up in a scandal. 
Now, maybe it's not anything as big as what David found himself in. And, and maybe, um, maybe we've never ordered somebody's life to be taken, right? Hopefully not, right? Maybe we've never been in a situation that size of that proportion, right? But all of us have been caught in a scandal, right? Because a scandal is simply when our public uh, uh, actions don't line up with our personal confession, right? So when you say, I'm, a, I'm pursuing the Lord, I'm living for him, but then the, our actions don't line up with that, that's a scandal, right? When I, when I say that I'm trusting the Lord and I'm believing in him and I'm following him and my actions don't line up with that, I, I mean, David would have said, I'm a murderer, right? If he would have come and said, I'm a murderer, I'm an adulterer, that's the way I roll. And, and then when this happened, nobody would have wondered anything. Everybody would have been like, that's what he said he was. But he was claiming to be something else, right? He was masquerading as one thing. Um, 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 let me pull back that word masquerading, not masquerading. He was really in pursuit of the Lord, but he found himself caught up in a moment, right, of weakness, a moment of not doing the right thing, and a scandal occurred. And we all find ourselves there at some point in our lives. Scandals have the tendency to downgrade our reputation. They affect our character, our integrity. They affect the way people see us, the way they look at us. They affect our relationship with the Lord. Because here's what happens in that very moment. And this can happen in any moment that we find ourselves in. In that very moment. You see, the Lord is always turned toward us. That's what the scriptures teach, right? That that God has chosen um, even to display it in Jesus Christ that that he is turned toward us, that that he is for us, right? That that he is is, um, pursuing after us, um, that he desperately wants relationship with us. Um, He wants to be brought near to us, right? And so he's pursuing us. But in that moment, right, David went from pursuing the Lord to being face-to-face with him in relationship with him and to turning his back and going the other way. Now, anytime that happens, we have the decision. We can turn back to the Lord, and he's patient and willing and able to forgive us and let it go. But we have a decision, right? And David had a decision to make whether he would continue to persevere in the way in ways that were opposed to the Lord's way or whether he would persevere in his pursuit of God and the things of God. He was in a scandal. He wasn't seeing clearly. He didn't know what to do. And it's not until in the next chapter, in Second Samuel chapter 12, that he's called out by Nathan. And then he begins to repent. He begins to turn back to the Lord. Now, the thing that I love most about this story is that in Psalm chapter 51, we have this song that was written by David. And he writes this song where he remembers this event. And in it, it's almost like he's trying to teach us the right thing to do. And so that's the way I want to go for this, just to be practical, right? He he teaches us how to rightly handle a scandal. Now, he messed it up. He he did the wrong thing. He followed SSP, Standard Scandal Protocol. But then he kind of backtracks and says, hey, this is the way to rightly handle a scandal. And he begins teaching us how. And I want us to look at this scripture, Psalm 51. The first thing he did was he turned to God. The first thing he did 
was he turned to God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 51. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. First thing he did was he turned to God. Often our first, our first thing that we do, right, well, this is what we kind of tend towards, at least I tend towards, uh, is to grieve over the consequences. I'm like, oh, man, why did she get pregnant? I didn't, I was not looking for a wife. I was not looking for, I, I didn't, I mean, she was just cute. I was just, you know, it, it, that, that's, that's the, the, the tendency, right? We, we grieve over um, broken relationships. We grieve over lost jobs. We grieve over foreclosure. We re- grieve over repossession. We grieve over loss, right, when we experience loss. But here we have David grieving over um, his relationship with the Lord has been hurt by his actions, right? So he turns first to God, and he begins to grieve over what he's done that was wrong in God's sight. And I believe David is saying to us today, hey, if I had it to do it all over again, this is what I would have done, right? When I got caught up in a scandal, right? When I did something that was in opposition to the way of the Lord, when my public uh, action didn't line up with my personal confession, right? When that scandal occurred, this is what I would have done. I would have turned to the Lord first and I would have said to him, have mercy on me, God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great, compassion blot out my transgression wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin the second thing that we see that he does which is so powerful is that he owns it he owns it right he doesn't play that blame game he doesn't say she knew what she was doing up there all naked in the middle who takes a shower in the middle of the night she should have been asleep he didn't go there right he could have and she may have known what he was doing she may have seen the light come on on his palace and all of a sudden i gotta take a second shower i feel dirty that may have been the way this played out she may have been being dirty um, but he doesn't play that blame game look at what he says he says for i know my transgression and my sin is always before me. I know my transgression. He owns it. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you, were, when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He says, hey, I knew better. Right? You taught me wisdom. I knew better. And I'm owning this. I'm not going to blame it on anyone else. That's a powerful step to take. Because once we own up to it, there's really no turning back. You see, in this life, we can try cover up after cover up after cover up, right? We can hide, we can run, we can blame somebody else, and we may just get away with it. Right? We, we, no one might not ever know what we did or what we're guilty of. And that's the temptation of playing this blame game. That's the, the temptation of covering it up. But what David does is more powerful than any of that. And that's that he owns up to it. 
In fact, the world needs to see us owning up to things that we've done wrong. They need to see us owning up to it and repenting of it. Because here's the deal, right? That situation, that's not the only naked woman that he's going to encounter. He's king. He's powerful. That's just not the way. That situation is going to return, right? He's going to find himself in that situation again. And unless he owns up to it this time, he's going to repeat the action over and over. And he's going to find himself in a cycle. And we've been there in different ways in our lives where we find ourselves in a cycle where we say, I'm not going to do this again. Where we say, I've learned from this mistake, but I've yet to own up to it and follow through what David is teaching us here. And we find ourselves repeating it when that situation comes around a second time. So the second thing we see that he does is he owns up to it. The first thing he turns to God. Second thing he does is he owns up to it. Third thing that he does is he prays for God's cleansing power, right? He prays that God will clean him up from his sin. Look at what he says in in verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I love that verse. Create in me a pure heart. Now notice what he doesn't do there. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to try harder. I'm serious this time, right? I'm, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do my best. Uh, God, for you, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah, I'm, going to, I'm in it this time, right? He, he doesn't do that because he recognizes that there's something wrong in the human heart that only God can fix. He recognizes that even the best efforts of human beings still fall short, right? He he recognizes that he needs God to create in him a pure heart. And so he doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to try better next time. He says, God created me a pure heart, do a work in my life. And he said, I'm going to welcome that. I'm going to welcome God to work in my life so that I can do the right thing next time. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then the fourth thing I want you to see that he does. First thing, well, he turns to God. Second thing, he owns it. Third thing, he prays to God for his strength, for his cleansing power. Fourth thing he does is he uses it. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to use this situation. I'm not just going to let it be a part of my past, but I'm going to let it be a part of my present so I can bless other people with it. I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from guilt, the guilt of bloodshed, O God. And who, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Open my mouth and my my lips will declare your praise. You see, he's saying, I'm going to use this. I'm not going to waste this experience. I'm not going to waste this pain. I'm not just going to let it be a part of my past. But I want to see other people who are found, who find themselves in similar situations, circumstances like this, to know, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've turned back to the Lord. He's accepted me. He didn't turn his back on me. He's loved me. And hey, this is what I learned through that experience. You see, in every experience that we go through in life, there are growth points. In every experience that we go through in life, there are growth points. 
And so we don't cast away the, we don't cast away the hardship and we don't cast away the failures and we don't just cast away the pain. We don't just turn our back on it and just pretend like it's not there because if I pretend that it's not there, maybe it'll disappear. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe I won't feel this pain. But no, we do the hard work of embracing it. The, the hard work of, of owning up to it. And I ask the difficult questions of what can I learn from this? What are the growth points for me here? And so life isn't just about going through it, but it's about growing through it so that when we get to the other side, we're stronger, but our, our strength isn't just for us, but our strength is for others who find themselves in similar situations. And so, yeah, we reflect on our heart times in life we reflect on the trouble that we found ourselves in we reflect on the scandal because we know that we're not the only ones who get caught up and we know that there's others who can learn from the lessons we've learned by our experience i love the fact that david does that and he teaches us here he teaches us to turn to god to own it, to pray for God's cleansing power, and to use it. Only in this way will God work most powerfully through our situation, in our scandal, in our circumstance, to bless this world. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to open this scripture. And God, I'm really thankful that that David did this, right? That he, that he did the hard work of, I mean, he was past this situation, right? He was, he was on the other side. He, he could have just moved on. And I'm sure the temptation for him was to just, just to move on, to let this be a part of his past. To say, I once was a man who did this but to not talk about it in depthly anymore. But God, I, I thank you that he revisited that hard time in his life that we today might be blessed by what he learns. God, I thank you that he revisited that scandal so that we might learn from his ways when we find ourselves caught up. God, I thank you that David was transparent and that he continued to pursue you. Senior Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. There's a scripture that says, and this is written 